Several years ago, a friend of mine asked me to attend an AA meeting with him. And so, uh, as you know, if you are in the 12-step group or movement at all, they're closed meetings and they're open meetings. Open meetings means anyone can come. So he invited me to go to this meeting with him. It was a men's meeting about, I don't know, three or four miles from here down the road. And uh, when we got there and sat down, it started right on time at 6 o'clock. And the guy who was leading the meeting uh, started off by saying, you know, when I first came uh, to AA many years ago, I was an absolute atheist. I didn't believe that God exists. I thought the existence of God was a joke. It was absurd. But over the years, something happened. And something changed my mind and changed my heart. And so he said, in this particular meeting, I want to talk to you about the power of God. So we went on to tell his story about how he experienced personally the power of God to change his life some 17 years ago and to get him free from a life of drinking and alcoholism. And then other people in the group began to share their different stories of how when they were down and out and they were in the gutter, they were struggling, and someone shared with them, and it was the power of God that delivered them from their substance abuse. And it was really, really amazing to hear so many stories of so many people, men, being vulnerable, that's enough. That's a rarity enough, right? But then on top of that was just them sharing about how they experienced the power of God on, on a firsthand and basis. And uh, I will never forget that meeting. And I thought about, you know, it's interesting where you find the power of God and, and where people go to find the power of God. And many times we find the power of God where we least expect it. Um, but, but, you know, we can look at other places for the power of God. Some people see the power of God in nature. And we look at creation. We look at the universe. We look at the galaxies. We look at all the things we can know uh, through, through science and through astronomy. And we're just amazed at, at the power of God in his creation in nature. We also can see the power of God in listening to the miracle stories. We can see the power of God in delivering his people from slavery and parting the Red Sea. We can see the power of God demonstrated in the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ. Where blind people could see, deaf people could hear, lame people could walk. That was a demonstration of the power of God. And yet some people are not really searching for power and the power of God. Other people want to find wisdom. I want some wisdom. I want some education. I want some knowledge. So we can go in many places in, in this book, in the Bible, and find wisdom. We can go to the book of Proverbs. I like the book of Proverbs. It's very simple. It's clear. And, and these, these sayings, these Proverbs, these wisdom phrases are something that get inside of your mind and your soul. If you're here today and you're saying, I need some practical advice in my business, in my job, in my life. Where do you go? Go to the book of Proverbs. It's awesome. You can go to Ecclesiastes if you're more philosophical. There's some great wisdom in Ecclesiastes. We can look into the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus chapter 20, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the law. There's wisdom there. There's truth there. We can go to the Sermon on the Mount, the most, I don't know, famous message and speech ever given. 
when Christ spoke there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and as he lays out these incredible principles on how we are to live our life, there's wisdom there. But it's interesting, when you really look at the apex of God's power, the, the apex, if you would, of God's wisdom, it's not found where you would expect it. So today I want us to look at where to find the clearest, most concise, most profound expression of the power and the wisdom of God. If there is a God, I want to know how this God is a powerful God. If there is a God who can help us guide our life, I want to know where I can go, where we can go to discover the wisdom that he has for us. Let's look at this book that we're studying, this letter called 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 18, following we have a guy by the name of Paul who's writing to this city that was very similar to Houston. It's a port city. It's a cosmopolitan city. It's an international city. It's a prosperous city. And it's also a very pagan city. So there's some people there who've just kind of started getting into this whole God thing, this Christianity thing. And, and, and they're looking at different places for the power and wisdom of God. And, and Paul's going to lay it out for him here. Check it out. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Mr. Fuzzy Face. Has, that's my translation, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Okay. Call time out right here in the middle of this passage. Okay. I remember teaching this passage a while back, and after the service, someone came up to me and said, Preacher, Man, I'm so glad you preached that, that message on intellectuals, you know, and how, you know, I got a friend who's an intellectual, and he doesn't believe in God, and he doesn't understand that. That's like, er, no, that is not what this passage is saying. This is not a passage that teaches that you have to park your brain in order to believe in God. Or if you're intellectually minded, that there's no way you can ever grasp God and be a Christian, that Christianity is for idiots, okay? That's not the point of this passage, okay? All right. I have, what, four more timeouts left, okay? I'm, I'm just going to use one today. Back to the passage. Here we go. Verse 22. Check this out. Jews demand signs. God, give us a sign. Give us some power. Greeks, look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But 
To those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul lays it out to us, doesn't he? He already tells us right there the answer. Where do we find the apex of the power and the wisdom of God? If we want power in our life, if we want wisdom in our life, Paul says we need to run to the cross. Paul said out of all of his studies, and Paul had memorized what his folks would call the entire Bible by the time he was 12 years old. He had meticulously tried to live the law and to live a perfectly moral life. He was a part of the religious supreme court of his day. He was educated at the Oxford and the Harvard of his day. He said, all of that, all of my searching and all the wisdom that I've gained there pales in comparison. In another book, he said it's dung, D-U-N-G, okay? in comparison to the wisdom and the power that I've experienced through the cross of Christ. So when it comes to this passage and intellectuals, it tells us that some intellectuals stand against the message, while other intellectuals stand in awe of it. So check this out. Professor Alfred Ayer from Great Britain says, as far as religions go, Christianity is the worst possible option. Why? Because it rests on the allied doctrines of original sin and vicarious atonement, which are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. So the cross and the message of atonement It's outrageous. It's contemptible to this man. On the other hand, listen to a quote from Dr. Jim Tour, who's one of the top chemists in the world, a leader in nanotechnology right here in our city at Rice University. Here's what he says about the message. He says, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. My faith has been increased through my research. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science, would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. Check out another quote from a friend of mine on the West Coast, Dr. Hugh Ross, who's an astrophysicist. He said this, he said, I came to trust in Jesus as my Savior after a two-year personal study of the Bible that convinced me that Scripture is free of contradiction and error, doctrinally, historically, and scientifically. So if, if you're into science and intellectual topics, you know, you can go to his website. It's reasons.org, and it's a phenomenal array of philosophers and scientists and how they see the compatibility and integrate both science with the Christian faith. Now, careful, go to, if you go to reasons.com, that's going to lead you to a libertarian website, which may set you free in a different way, but both are good. Reasons.com and reasons.org. .org is Dr. Ross. So, so what is the point that I'm trying to make through these quotes? I'm just trying to say this, is that, you know, when it comes to embracing God, believing there's a God, when it comes to understanding Bible, when it comes to understanding the cross, there are some people who we may consider educated and PhD who are against it, who see the message 
of the cross as offensive, as cruel, as barbaric. There are other people, some scholars and some intellectuals, who see in the cross and in the message the wisdom and the power of God. Dr. Jim Tour is Jewish. And he believes in Christ and in the cross, and he sees the wisdom and power of God. Dr. Hugh Ross is Gentile or a Greek, and he sees and has experienced the power and the wisdom of God. So, Paul starts off this passage by saying, the message, I like that, the message of the cross is foolishness to some people. It's power and wisdom to others. So what is the message of the cross? What is this message? And and I want to talk to at least three people right now as we listen to this message. There's some people here gathered and some people here watching right now. And you consider yourself a good person. You're good you're moral, you do the right thing, you try to lead, lead a clean life, and you're a good person. Others of you listening, the second group is you consider yourself a bad person. You're a bad person, you're a bad guy, you're a bad woman, and you've done many, many things that are abominable, and, and, and you, you just see yourself as bad, and you're full of shame and guilt, and maybe on some level you feel like you're absolutely hopeless. You're a bad person. A third group I want to listen to this message is what I would call the okay person. You're okay. You're not bad, you know, feel like you're hopeless and despair. You're, you're not good and righteous like a lot of religious and moral people. No, you're just kind of okay. You're good. You're kind of good. You're kind of okay. I'm okay. You're okay, right? We're okay. I want you to listen to this message. All, all through three types of people, listen to the message of the cross. Listen to it. And, and let me say this. The cross... <laughs> If the cross is a a true picture and revelation of the wisdom and power of God, it's it's like a diamond, right? It's interesting. You know, it's interesting the way the way men and women look at things. Like, you know, you may see a diamond, guys, on some lady's hand, and it's three or four carat, and you think to yourself, "Well, that's too big." No woman thinks a diamond can be too big. You're shopping for a TV screen, you know, for your room, and it's a 94-inch flat screen. Wife says, that's too big. Man says, what? Can't be, can't be too big. But the gospel, that's my second time out. That has relates to nothing. Sorry. The gospel is like a diamond ring, if you would, and that When you look at a diamond, a beautiful diamond ring, it has so many different 
aspects and facets and it's so brilliant and it takes people who are expertly trained to understand the purity and the worth of a diamond and when you turn it and turn it and turn it and different light hits it you see a different aspect and a different beauty and a different power in that magical creation that God has made. I think the, the, the cross is the same way. If the cross is the wisdom and the power of God, there are many different aspects and many different things that we can find as we turn the diamond that is the cross of Christ. So today I'm just looking at really one aspect. If you say, wow, Ben, you're an idiot. I'll say, okay, I can agree with that. But there's more in the weeks to come, all right? We're looking at one aspect today. Okay, one aspect today. So what is it? What is this message of the cross, this aspect of this diamond that Paul's talking about today? It's this. The, the cross says a lot of things to us, but the cross basically says that we are all on level ground. We're all on level ground before the cross. The cross, to put it another way, is the great leveler of humanity. So how's that? Well, the cross basically says that we're all in the same sinking ship Morally. Whether you see yourself as a good person, a bad person, an okay person, it doesn't matter. When it comes to measuring up to God's standard of what God requires to have a relationship with him, all of us, good, bad, and okay, fall miserably short of God's standard. Because God's standard to be accepted before him is absolute 100% perfection in thoughts and actions and deeds. 100%. So the cross shows us that no one gets it. No one, the, the religious person, the irreligious person, the good person, the bad person, the okay person, the smart intellectual person, the person who's not so smart, it doesn't matter. The rich, the poor, it doesn't matter. We are all bankrupt before a holy and perfect God. Let's just say that if, if God, God changed the standard from righteousness and perfect righteousness and morality. Let's say that he changed the standard to vertical jump, vertical leap, right? Right? Let's just say that. Let's say that God's standard is, right, if you want to know me, if you want to be forgiven and accepted by me, you need to jump so high as to touch the moon. That's all you got to do. Just jump high enough to touch the moon. Right? I've never been a good jumper. I'm not going to get very far off the ground. LeBron and the Greek freak, they're going to get a lot higher than me, but they're going to miss the moon by a mile. We all miss the moon. We all miss God's standard. 
Mother Teresa misses God's standard. The Pope misses God's standard. Billy Graham misses God's standard. I miss God's standard. The cross tells me that. So we're all equal. The Bible's term is that we're sinners. That means we've broken God's law. We're separated. Our sin separates us from God. There's this distance. It's like us trying to touch the moon. It's never going to happen. No matter how smart and intellectual you are, no matter how much you try, I'm going to try to make up for all the bad things I've done. I'm going to be good now. You can never be good enough. The cross tells us that we're all in the same sinking ship. The minister, the missionary, the murderer, the robber, the real estate guy, the lawyer, the legalist, the teacher. We're all in the same sinking ship. It levels us. No one is better. No one is holy. No one gets it. So the cross, the message of the cross that we're listening to today, we're trying to understand today, is that we're all in the same sinking ship. The cross slays our sense of self-righteousness. The cross exalts God and and humbles us. Buddha was a great teacher. He was an awesome teacher. Buddha had a lot of wisdom. If I were not a Christian, I would be a Buddhist or a cynic, okay? I, I, I can glean truth from Buddha. Muhammad was... A warrior. Confucius was a very wise man. But none of these leaders, their primary mission was to go and to die for other people. That's offensive and outrageous. To deal with suffering, the pain and suffering, to get us right with God. Someone has to die for us on a crucifixion, on a cross. But that's the way God planned it. That's the way God revealed his power and his wisdom. Through the humility, through the suffering of his son on the cross, in our place. An unexpected place, isn't it, to find the power and wisdom of God in, in death and in an electric chair? But the cross, when we think about the cross, when we survey the cross, it just puts us all on the same level, equal ground of being in need of God's mercy and of God's grace and forgiveness. When God opens our eyes and opens our hearts to the cross, 
and opens our eyes to who he is, all of a sudden, the cross becomes wisdom and power. It's no longer foolishness, but becomes our lifeblood. So, today is, 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 is simple yet very deep to me, and that is my, my prayer for you, no matter where you find yourself in one of those three categories, is good or bad or okay or somewhere in a different category, I don't know. But my prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you would experience the wisdom and power that comes through the cross of Christ. Now, let me say this before we get there in a few months. If Jesus Christ didn't come out of the grave on the third day, then the cross is utter meaninglessness and foolishness. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified by the Romans. Many would-be messiahs and saviors were crucified and buried. But only Christ came out of the grave on the third day, which gives that existential power of the cross and wisdom of the cross that we can appropriate even today. Yeah, 